0: Hi breakout listeners, we want you to know how grateful we are that you've helped make us number one in self-improvement, number one in education, and number seven in all podcasts. That's a lot of love from a lot of listeners. So keep tuning in for more inspiring breakout stories and don't forget to leave us a review. We love hearing from you.
1: It's tough. In U.S. society, you know, we're quite averse to friction. We're really afraid of offending. It's a shame because we could find out a lot from each other and connect more easily and quicker.
0: That's Janet Livingstone, and she has a fascinating career as an intercultural competency coach. Janet's been living and working abroad for decades, And it's taught her a thing or two about how our cultural expectations get in the way of understanding each
1: other and ourselves. That's why it's so beautiful to be able to meet other people and work with them because then we can see our own society with so much more clarity and perspective.
2: On this episode, Janet tells us about her incredible life working in multiple countries from the culture shock of being invited to a 7 a.m. pig slaughter to navigating work meetings where no one seems to really decide anything. And not only what she learned about other cultures, but what it taught her about Americans.
0: Welcome to The Breakout, a show about smashing through life's little boxes
2: and forging your own path. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. And I'm Kelly Gunther. Carrie and I are people and change experts and best friends. We've spent more than 25 years helping organizations navigate change and get the best out of their people. Come on, we know change is hard, but staying the same can even be
0: harder. On The Breakout, we prove that you can escape expectations, and best of all, we show you how. So, Janet, who are you, what do you do, and what do you help others break out of?
1: So I'm an executive coach and a leadership development practitioner, I'm a traveler, and a linguist. I would have to say that I really like to help others break out of their bubbles. You know, we all get stuck in kind of boxes and bubbles that are formed in our childhoods and how we grew up and what kind of beliefs we have about ourselves. So I like to help people break their, I've always done it that way bubble, or I hate that bubble, right? The, I hate that being, that thing scares the hell out of me and I don't want to touch it kind of bubble.
0: I love that, Janet. Thank you. And I think with your background and traveling so much and being a person in a different culture, numerous times in your life, I think it forces you to really have a different perspective on, on you and our own personal culture that you grew up in and our society. So your work is really connected to how people function in the work culture and how they function at work in different cultures around the world. So there's so much to unpack. So how did you get into this field? How did you even start with culture and and looking at
1: people's bubbles? I was born with an ear for languages, and I've been studying foreign languages since I was seven years old. And my parents were always travelers and kind of a little bit critical of the U.S. So I grew up with this weird idea that, oh, things in, in other places are better or you should see other places. So I started with French when I was seven and it came for me. I'm one of those people who lives through their ears. So that kind of morphed into studying modern languages and literature in college and then studying international relations in grad school and traveling a lot as a younger person. And then when my work life started, I started as a English teacher, all kinds of interesting groups that I would teach. And then in grad school, I had this incredible opportunity that really launched me. And that was that one of the professors in our program was Madeline Albright. Who?
0: I'm just joking. For those of you <laughs> who do not know, the first female secretary of state. Yes. Yes. And had a brooch game with nobody's business, she would have brooches or wear pins that would signify kind of what's coming up. And so if she was maybe meeting with someone who is maybe finicky or or problematic, maybe she had a B brooch or something like that, but she always, she was very thoughtful around her jewelry. And so, yeah, very interesting woman. Yeah.
1: She had that kind of sparkle in her eye and that sense of humor. She knew how to poke, mm-hmm. right? She wasn't afraid But she knew how to do it in a subtle, diplomatic way. This was 1989-90, right? So she wasn't Secretary of State yet, but Mm -hmm. she was intimately connected to Czechoslovakia because that's where she came from. And so the revolutions in Europe were happening at that time. The Czechoslovak Revolution was November 89, and it was followed by the wall coming down and Romania and all the other stuff. And when the Czechoslovak Revolution happened, I think that she was instrumental in bringing Václav Havel, the new Czechoslovak president, over to Washington. And he spoke at Georgetown where I was, a student, and that launched my whole kind of nonprofit career, living in other places, um, studying and living in post-socialist Europe. Janet worked in global
2: health, traveled extensively, got married, and raised her children while living in Slovakia. Zambia and other places. When she moved to Czechoslovakia, she was confronted with a place that had been completely isolated from Western culture after decades under the control of the Soviet Union.
1: They were returning to Europe after being completely stamped down by the Soviet Union. Uh, Their culture was. Not appreciated outside of the Eastern Bloc. Nobody outside knew anything about them. But I wanted to know who they were, what they were feeling, what was happening. They wanted to bring me in. They wanted to take me out for beer. One of the first experiences I had was when one of my students invited me for a pig slaughter. (laughs) Oh, yay,
0: Janet! Yeah,
1: talk about being dropped in. (laughs) Yeah, so they invited us to a little tiny village in the middle of Slovakia. I had no idea what was going on. They woke us up at 6.30 in the morning. We arrived at seven o'clock. There was a pig hanging from a hook. he had been shot through the eyes. We were handed, the first thing, 7 a.m., no food. We were handed a shot of schnapps. Okay, so hard alcohol, yeah. So from then on, my eyes were crossed um, and they proceeded to slaughter the pig in front of us, and they had this big barrel, like this vat, and they made (laughs) soup. They cooked the head and the ears and all that stuff, and then they started cooking the other stuff, and they brought us a bowl of blood pudding with rice in it. So yeah, I was really thrown in, and we were really ignorant about it because of our limitations on the media. They couldn't get information from a place like Czechoslovakia or Poland. So it was like this mutual situation of nobody knowing what they didn't know, And they really, really wanted to show me and my colleagues everything possible. And they figured that we would get it. And we didn't most of the time because it was so different. But so that's culture shock. That's my version of culture shock in its most extreme, basically. Yeah.
0: So you have such a specialization now around this intercultural competency. And so tell us more about that, what that looks like, and then why is it so important to offer it to say maybe an executive who, they're never going to travel anywhere. So why would it be important to them to have this intercultural competency?
1: It's important because most larger corporations in the U.S. have leaders and staff from all over the world now. It's hard to find giant corporations that don't function, that don't have regular meetings with their team in India or their team in China or their team in Israel, especially in the tech industry. And some huge percentage of tech workers in this country come from other places. And so you run into some pretty deep communication style differences, for example, perceptions of time, things that can disrupt. You know, Americans expect certain things. We expect to be You know, let's get to work right away. We don't want to waste time, quote unquote, waste time, you know, chit-chatting at the beginning of a meeting. Uh, We expect people to come on time. We expect people to take action. All of these things are assumptions, right, that we live with that. That's our workplace culture. And I'm generalizing here. Everything comes with the caveat that not everything is always the same across One country culture and somebody who hasn't traveled or worked in another country doesn't know that things can be different in another place. And so we naturally project those assumptions on others. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times like I've been to meetings in Europe, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, where they'll have a meeting where they just talk and they'll all talk at the same time. And there aren't any recognizable action items for me, right, necessarily. And I'll be like, God, we didn't accomplish anything. And they'll come out and they'll say, that was a great meeting. And they'll go and they'll do stuff. And I'll be like, how do you know what to do? I don't remember. (laughs) And so these differences can make for some tension because Americans don't understand what's been decided whereas the other side may understand Mm -hmm. and there are levels of fluidity for example that we're not we're not used to you don't know that that difference is coming so you don't ask right like hey how do you guys perceive time or hey how do you guys make decisions all those things come into play and so the crux here is when I coach or when I do sort of team performance interventions what I notice is that leaders or middle managers, it doesn't matter what the level is. If somebody's going to start working with another culture or be relocated to another culture, the big corp doesn't have empathy necessarily. They're not necessarily going to prep that person for being dropped into another place that's completely different. And so, what that means is that person loses a lot of time trying to figure out what the heck's going on and that's money lost it's time lost and we're all expected to quote-unquote hit the ground running so I think it's unfair I'm a very big advocate of corporations offering that kind of coaching or offering executive coaching from someone who understands intercultural competency
0: What I really liked with what Janet said is the travel and the being an outsider really teaches you about your own expectations and bubble and how you interact with people and what triggers you. So what she was talking about is just that being that awareness, that self-awareness is so critical for regardless, if you're going to another culture, if you're going down the street, if you're whatever for interacting with people, it's so incredibly important.
2: Yes, just the importance of asking questions. I thought that was just a, such a simple thing to do because we are action oriented in that that sense of action and that sense of urgency tends to get in the way of us actually sometimes developing meaningful relationships, speaking from someone with experience in that arena.
0: I was going to say, are you speaking directly about yourself, yeah. Kelly Gunther, on that one? Because I was going to say, uh, yes, a group, Carrie and Kelly. We love saying we're action oriented, yeah. <laughs> not applicable in any other country but the United States.
2: <laughs> but it often will come from the mindset of... Task first, people second. Not because I don't care about the person, but because Mm -hmm. that payoff of getting the task done and getting someone what they need feels good to me. But would it kill me to be able to ask someone, how was your weekend and what did you do and take the additional five minutes? No, it wouldn't, but it's an additional effort. Being mindful of the other person um, at the end of the call or the Zoom or whatever conversation you're having is important.
0: Jana's international work led her to begin coaching leaders in intercultural competency. And it was fascinating to hear why this kind of coaching
1: is so necessary. So when I was living in Slovakia, I was approached by one of the big mobile operators there, O2. O2 had a new CEO. Their CEO came from Chile. They picked him up and they dropped him in Bratislava without a peek. He had no clue. I mean, you can't, you can't imagine like, so he's in this big sophisticated city of Santiago in Latin America. He's been around, he speaks good English, his native language is Spanish. He gets dropped in tiny post-socialist Bratislava, which is already far from socialism, but still there are a lot of, there's the hangover just, you know, it's hard to make it go away. And so he needed help. In our first session, he said to me, when I talk to the staff, when we have like an all hands meeting or something, they don't listen to me. They talk while I'm talking. I don't know what is happening. I need your help for me to, you know, be taken more seriously. It's for me to be more influential. First of all, I asked him to, you know, give me a mini presentation to see whether there was anything about him. And He was fine. And basically, the conclusion that I came to was that he was hitting a cultural barrier. And that consisted of the following. In a lot of the socialist countries, the generations came up with a lot of routine speeches and holidays and it was all the same. And it became very empty after a while. And sometimes it would be long-winded. You know, like Castro can talk for four hours without stopping, right? So if you grow up with that, you tune it out, right? You applaud when you're supposed to, you learn how to look like you're listening, but you're mm-hmm. not, that's the first point. The second point is that their education system, which I think is, you know, it's, it's evolving, but it was very largely based on kind of the Germanic model, which is the professor comes with a bunch of notes and he or she reads or lectures For an hour and a half or even longer and you're expected to take notes and memorize all that and there's no real exchange and so they had two reasons not to expect that he would have anything valuable to give them or anything that they really needed to pay attention to and so they would just start chatting with each other not realizing that this was unsettling for him and and it can be felt to be rude and and I knew exactly what he was talking about because I had seen it happen so many times. And I just thought, God, you guys are so rude. Like, look, here's this person who's trying to give you something. So, yeah. So I helped him through that. He had no idea. I think, Janet, you you speak of things
0: that I love so much because I was also in D.C. Studied international relations and just the class of international communications and just like you said, all the issues with being dropped in a culture that you're not familiar with, that you don't even realize all the norms that you carry with you that you take to the next culture and then you judge everyone against those norms. And so I think because you've seen so much, what are some of those, we talk about expectations on our show and like breaking some of the expectations or breaking out of the box What are some of those expectations in America that we probably don't even know that we have in terms of maybe work culture?
1: Yeah, lots. A lot of times in cultures where there's hierarchy, right, that's, you know, hierarchy is important or what I call power distance, which we might talk about also as a separate topic. You will be talking to somebody and you need them to do something and they'll say, Yes, 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 yes. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're authorized to do it. It doesn't Mm. necessarily mean that the person who has the power to decide that that's going to get done is going to say yes. That's just the first step. We tend to be quite literal, right? No is no. Yes is yes. And maybe needs to have a reason if it's conditional, Another example, you're not always sure where the decision maker is. This is this is related to the yes and no. So the person you're speaking to may be two or three levels below where the decision maker is. And what that means is that it may take a much longer time to get a response if you're asking a question from that decision maker than you think is reasonable, right? As if in the US, mm-hmm. we expect things fast, we need them fast because time is money and we have objectives and we have results to get, right? And this happens very often with my work with China, you know, countries where there's big power distance. Perceptions of time are important like, do we have time to chat or not? How does the decision-making work? Is it top-down like in the high power distance countries where one person has all the power to make most of the decisions? Or is it consensus-based, right? In Sweden, it's all based on consensus very strongly so lots and lots of people get consulted again that for us slows down the process for them it's what they need for everyone to feel comfortable and for them to be sure that it's the decision that the company should take but for us just a drag oh they're going to take another two weeks right so yeah there are lots of points there
0: Speaking of time is money and the urgency, that might be me and Kelly. And sometimes and even though I've studied other cultures, Janet, I think, oh, I, I'm not going to do so well. It's certain because I am that driver that can do well in the States, but in other countries, I take a lot more energy to slow myself down and be more culturally aware. It takes a lot of time and energy to focus And when it's so against your culture and expectations. And so I think Kelly, since I I don't know, on a daily basis, Kelly, we might say time is money or waste of time. Or why does that person take so long to get back to us, Kel?
2: We say that constantly. I I think I I say it like every hour. Probably even faster than that, to be honest with you, sad as it is. Um, And I have to always realize, is it me being an American? Is it me being Kelly? Because now as I'm hearing you talk about this, it's like, well, I don't know. I think it's me being a, a bit of a netball about time. But it's interesting to hear as you're talking through, we are quite literal and we do take things at kind of face value. So, hearing your your kind of experiences, Janet, how interesting it must be to have these conversations over and over and over again, and then in, and then at the same time experience new situations and adjust yourself.
1: Yes, it requires a lot of energy. Once you do it a bunch of times, you, it becomes more of a reflex. Like you you watch for things more. You don't take everything at face value, but it does take time. I mean, I've you know the first few years I lived in Slovakia, and I started really having meetings and going out for coffee with people all day long in Slovakia. I was absolutely exhausted. I couldn't, I couldn't stay up past nine o'clock at night. You know, my husband was always looking at me like, "What's wrong with you? Why are you so tired?" <laughs> but you know, you said, "I don't know if it's America or if it's or if it's me." But my question to you would be. How do you know where Kelly Stops and the U.S. culture begins? You know, I think it's part of us, mm-hmm. really, very deeply. And it that's why it's such a process, because unless we see something different and live with something different, we can't know ourselves fully in terms of the topic of this conversation, right? That's why it's so beautiful to be able to meet other people and work with them because then we can see our own society with so much more clarity and perspective. I mean, wowie. Eight years ago, I moved here directly from Slovakia and I moved to the West Coast where I'd never lived before. I come from the Boston area. And so I just, it was a huge shock. It was almost worse coming home and not knowing what to do anymore at home and not feeling like it was home anymore, then going from the U.S. to a new foreign country. Because there were just layers of differences. You know, I missed 13 years of the evolution of English jargon and workplace speak and all that stuff. Like I, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I came back and like everything was tech speak. Everything was about the ecosystem and getting traction. It was crazy. It's taken me a while, but I'm, I'm happy here now.
2: And thank you for mentioning that you bring something to mind of the self-awareness that it takes to know not only yourself, but also to to know others. And that it includes not only yourself, but also your culture. You know, there's always friction in our work, personal lives that may not even be about culture difference. So for in terms of like general advice for dealing with people that you have a hard time connecting with, what is maybe... a a bit of advice that you might have for somebody?
1: A couple things come to mind right away. First one is recognize your own triggers. If you're having trouble connecting with someone, maybe that person is triggering you for some reason that you haven't recognized yet. That's a tough, it's that's that tough energy where you're like, ah, I can't talk to this person. This person bothers me. And I I can't figure out why, and it's really hard. That's a tough energy to be in. It's very uncomfortable. So it's worth sitting down and really thinking about that, even writing it out. Like maybe this person reminds me of somebody who I had trouble with. Maybe there's some trauma there that this person is bringing up. Who knows? We all come to the table with our stuff, right? From childhood or from whenever, it doesn't matter. Um, And the second thing is, ask more questions. Ask, what do you mean when you say that? Say, I'm not sure I'm understanding you. Can you say that again? Can you say it differently? What's the context for you? What's the background here? What outcomes do you want to see? I'm not sure here whether we're agreeing or disagreeing. How are you feeling? There's a lot of stuff that you can ask that we don't tend to ask, it's tough. It, in U.S. society, you know, we're quite averse to friction. We're, we're averse to interrupting, to asking why. We, you know, we're, we're really afraid of offending. And that's, it's a shame because we could find out a lot from each other and connect more easily and quicker You know, the minute you connect with someone, the minute you start building trust, things shift completely and it just gets so much easier. It's a relief. I
2: hear so much of your coaching practice coming through too and the questions that you're asking, whether or not you realize it, Um, Carrie and I are actively going through a coaching certification. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just so picking up on so much of what you're saying and the questions themselves are naturally curious, number one, so that does neutralize the waters and it makes it possible for someone to feel open enough to share without it feeling like you're being invasive or threatening. You know, it's a very um, open conversation. One last question for you. You have a minute with someone who, you know, given the the amount of work that you've gone through and, and just the amount you've traveled, I mean, you've known so many languages and you've really taken the time to sort of develop yourself and learn about others. I wonder if you have a minute with someone who's stuck, they want to break out and do something different. What do you tell that person?
1: Who do you want to be when you're doing that different thing? That's my first question. And I want to know what baby steps they feel safe taking. But the being is important. This is another sort of cultural aspect. I've become a little bit obsessive about cultures. Sorry. But One thing that we tend to focus on always is what are you going to do? Like we're extremely action oriented, right? That's part of the reason why we have trouble slowing down because we're really, really about action and being, you know, looking around, what's around me, smelling the flowers to use a cliche, feeling the light on your face, whatever, whatever it is. So That question, who do you want to be? What do you want to feel like when you're out of that bubble, when you're doing something different, can be really evocative. I remember when my coach, I've been, you know, had a coach for a number of years. He would ask me that um, fairly often. And that was the toughest question. But things would come. Visual images would come.
2: Thank you so much. I got goosebumps as you were mentioning, you know, what do you want to feel when you're out of that space or out of that bubble. Janet, thank you so much for sharing
1: with us your story. It's been a huge pleasure meeting you. Thank you. Thank you, Janet.
0: Kelly, I was thinking while she was talking about smelling the roses, I feel, Kelly, is this life telling us to slow down? Just the whole podcast, everything, is this just the universe saying, you know what? Maybe the two of you should smell something different.
2: Well, if that's telling us that it's not happening this year, so (laughs) maybe 2024, but not this year. 2024, goal for 2024. That was Janet Livingstone, intercultural competency coach, and this is The Breakout. At Abraci Group, we love helping companies get the most out of their talent. If you're looking to improve yourself and your team, connect with us at abrachigroup.com. On the breakout, we love reading your reviews. In fact, we just got this
0: one from Sure Jan. That's kind of an awesome handle, Kelly. I like that, Sure Jan. All right, here's what Sure Jan says. I learned so much in these quick podcasts. The topics are relevant and multifaceted. Kelly and Carrie are obviously a great team, and their guests are unique and interesting. One to put on regular rotation. Thanks, sure, Jan. Appreciate it. Keep sending us reviews. Reviewing is simple. Just click Write a Review and hit Save. It
2: helps us reach more people who might just need these stories. And don't forget to subscribe to the Breakout so you never miss a new episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Breakout Pod. I'm Kelly Gunther.
0: And I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. See you next time.